Imagine you're a diver off the coast of Japan in 1995. The water is dark and murky, and all kinds of strange fish are swimming past you. You swim towards a section of the ocean floor. It's open and sandy, but you notice something strange on the ground. Drawn into the sand is a beautiful floral circle, perfectly radially symmetrical and two meters across the center. The crop circle appears perfectly undisturbed in the current. Over the years, more reports occur of the strange crop circles, but for over 15 years, no one knows what or who is responsible for their creation. They are merely known as the mystery circles. Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBersier. So I bet you're wondering, why all the mystique? What are the mystery circles? And we're going to get to that. But first, a reminder that we've launched our new merch store over on Etsy. We've got new stickers, acrylic keychains, and handmade sunfish ornaments. So if you want to support the show, check it out at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. Now, on to the tea. We are talking about pufferfish today. So Sophia, can you tell us what blathers has to say about pufferfish? Yeah, definitely. So if you bring a pufferfish to blathers, he'll say, Like its cousin the blowfish, when the pufferfish feels threatened, it inflates into a spiky balloon. The biggest difference between them is that the pufferfish is not deadly poisonous like its kin. So while it may look scary, the substantially reduced risk to life and limb makes it much better company. Okay. Blathers. (laughs) There's, There's a lot here to unpack taxonomically. But first things first, okay. Many pufferfish and their relatives are definitely poisonous. So please don't listen to blathers and go around eating pufferfish unless it's been properly prepared. So I just wanted to say that right off the bat, this is a dangerously incorrect fact, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Some blathers. You got to take some responsibility here. Okay, so that's the first thing. Number two, Blather's mishap here brings up kind of a confusing aspect of pufferfish, which is that there are like a thousand common names for pufferfish and their relatives, and they're all used interchangeably by a lot of people. So it can be, yeah, you might be kind of confused because you're like, ah, isn't a pufferfish the same as a blowfish, the same as a porcupine fish? And like, kind of. So for this episode, we will be talking about pufferfish in the family Tetraodontidae. But... The fish in Animal Crossing that they call a pufferfish more closely resembles a porcupine fish, which is not in family Tetraodontidae, it's in family Diodontidae. So it's a relative of the pufferfish, but it's different. You can also catch a blowfish in Animal Crossing, and both its illustration and its description more accurately match the Tetraodontidae or the pufferfish family. So 
Yeah, it's a little bit mixed up here. And to summarize that, porcupine fish and pufferfish slash blowfish are in separate families. And today we're talking about tetraodontidae, the pufferfish and blowfish. Oh my gosh. I know, it's very difficult to unpack. That was like the biggest fact check of all time on Beyond Blathers. <laughs> yeah, Blathers, you're so confused. It's okay, though. It's it's confusing. And like, honestly, there's probably people who disagree with me in terms of like using the name Blowfish to describe a pufferfish or whatever. And this is why knowing family names is really important as a scientist, because common names, or I guess English names specifically, are just like very confusing and... And, like, vary so much on region and where you're from. So, like, according to Wikipedia, pufferfish are also commonly called puffers, balloonfish, blowfish, blowies, bubblefish, globefish, swellfish, toadfish, toadies, honey toads, and sugar toads, among other names. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, very, very confusing. Aww, I want to call them swellfish. That's so cute. Swellfish. They're swell. I like balloon fish. <laughs> also toadies. That has like a New Zealand. I can see like someone saying that in a New Zealand accent for some reason. Honey toads is cute too. Honey toads. <laughs> sugar toad. <laughs> that sounds like a like a pet name. Yeah. Hey there, sugar toad. <laughs> <laughs> Please call me honey toad. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay, so yeah, going back to the pufferfish. Overall, there's about 187 species of pufferfish in the family Tetraodontidae, and they can be found all over the world in areas including open ocean, coral reefs, temperate, shallow water, and even like brackish and freshwater environments, which I didn't know. I didn't know you could find pufferfish in freshwater places. That is really interesting to me. And I saw like a video, I don't know where it was, but it was someplace in Africa that had like, it was like a video of a an otter trying to eat a, a puffer fish and it was really cute the otter was having a understandably rough time yeah i am really surprised to hear that they could be found in fresh water i guess i just associate them with the ocean so much mm-hmm. yeah and they have like this sort of chunky look to them even when they're not inflated and usually some of them have a kind of spotted pattern along their backs and the spotting is sometimes really dramatic looking and can help warn predators of their potential toxicity. Now, all of these inflatable fish characters are part of the overarching group, the Tetraodontiformes. And this group of fish actually includes our friend the sunfish, as well as box fishes and triggerfish. So it's a pretty big group and honestly, like some of the coolest looking fish in my opinion. So now that we've gotten to know this whole big family of the pufferfish, let's get into the dirt on these guys. There's a lot of bizarre stuff to know about the pufferfish. And my favorite fact about them turned out not to be about like the poisoning or the fact that they inflate like a balloon, but it's whole this whole like mystery circles thing. Yeah, no, you need to tell us more about this because when you said you wanted to do like an X-Files kind of thing about these like mystery crop circles, I was super on board, but I still don't really know what is going on there, but I'm so intrigued. I love anything that is like <laughs> underwater alien vibes. Yeah, so in Japan in 1995, these scuba divers first noticed this like crop circle drawn into the sand on the ocean floor. And it was puzzling because it was like perfectly made, flawlessly, radially symmetrical, and seemingly untouched by the current. 
These circles were found on occasion by local recreational divers for like the next 16 years without any real answer as to what is making them. So they were like, ah, maybe it's a natural phenomenon. Maybe it's an organism. Just don't really know. And then finally, a team of researchers goes out and observes nothing more than like this teeny little puffer fish swimming in these like perfectly organized lines and drawing out this beautiful pattern in the sand. And it turns out that male Japanese puffer fish create these images in the sand to attract mates. So what's even more amazing about this is that they will drag their fins in such a way and in such a pattern that it draws all these like really fine sand particles to the middle. And in the middle, they'll create sort of this like little random pattern in the center of all this like perfectly symmetrical, like mathematical looking image. And the hope is that a female, if the mate is lucky, will come and lay her eggs in that very like fine sand patch. But it takes like the male pufferfish 24-7 attention to keep that pattern looking good for the ladies. Otherwise, the current will blow it all away and, and all their work will be ruined. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, one, I love the initiative, love the planning. And two, this reminds me so much of like I've been working on this episode of another podcast called Terra Informa about cryptozoology and conservation and how like cryptozoology, which is like the the sort of pseudoscience of hunting for cryptids like Sasquatch and Ogopogo and the Loch Ness Monster and stuff, how that could actually maybe help real life conservation. And part of that whole idea is that we can find wonder and like strangeness in a lot of the animals that do actually exist and that we can observe like this, like this is such a weird thing to do and it's so like otherworldly and but but it's done by like a real animal that was like evolved from natural selection and stuff like that's so cool yeah like sometimes you don't have to look at the fantastical to like you know find these bizarre situations like does that make sense like it, it doesn't have to be like aliens or some like humanoid somewhere else like it can just be this tiny little fish with a little fish brain yeah creating this beautiful work of art like and they're all kind of as far as I could tell they they seem to be relatively unique although similar types of patterns because like they'll be unique to the puffer fish's size and and whatnot and there's an amazing BBC video of it it's very dramatic very David Attenborough <laughs> so you can find that on YouTube and we'll have to post that on the, the Instagram so people can see yeah. Wow, that's so cool. They're really artists. They are. So yeah, after the eggs are all laid, the parents leave and the pufferfish babies eventually hatch and go on their way in the world. And at this point in their life cycle, they look a lot like mini pufferfish. One species, though, has even been found to have the toxic pufferfish babies. So it turns out this pufferfish mom has highly toxic ovaries. And when laying her eggs, she'll like coat them in a special toxin. So when the babies hatch, even though they themselves might not have built up that toxicity that an adult pufferfish will have yet, they are still really foul tasting and noxious to predators because they have this toxic coat on them. Wow. I want highly toxic ovaries. That would be an amazing superpower. <laughs> I know. It sounds hardcore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No. Can you talk more about the toxicity? Because you said that Blathers got it really wrong. So like, I don't know, should we be worried about the toxicity to clarify, I guess? Oh, yes. Okay. 
So many, but not all, species of pufferfish have a special toxin in them called tetrodotoxin. And it's one of the most poisonous substances known, and there's enough in a single pufferfish to kill multiple humans. So the same toxin can be found in a lot of toxic creatures, including the blue-ringed octopus, the atelopus frog, and the California newt. And what researchers have recently discovered is that it seems as though the toxin builds up in the body of a pufferfish through its consumption of a type of bacteria. And that bacteria and the pufferfish develop a symbiotic relationship where the bacteria gets a safe place to live and the pufferfish becomes ridiculously deadly. Uh, So it's a pretty good deal for them. And if consumed by a human, this toxin causes numbness and paralysis of the tongue and pharynx. It causes gastrointestinal distress, including vomiting and diarrhea. And in extreme cases, it can cause respiratory failure, seizures, and cranial nerve dysfunction, and potentially lead to death. And also, there is no cure. Oh, great. (laughs) It is very intense. Like, there are, I guess, sort of like, ways to minimize the the like likelihood of dying of it but yeah it's a really intense poison it really messes you up yeah that does not sound pleasant is it just from eating them or is it also from like do their spikes have the toxin if you touch them okay yes so contrary to what i thought like i always assumed that like the spikes were like could like envenomate you But apparently that's not the case. Those spikes are basically just modified scales that are used to make pufferfish even more difficult to eat when they inflate. So instead, the toxins are built up in the fish's liver and testes, and as I mentioned before, uh, the female ovaries. Because so much tetrodoxin builds up in the ovaries, female pufferfish are actually far more toxic than the males. And even between sexes, the amount of toxin in a pufferfish can vary depending on the time of year and where they live. Now, for predators, this means that they might try to take a bite of the pufferfish, but that doesn't necessarily mean instant death for them. So in the case of that, like, otter video, like, the otter was probably not having a good time, but it, like, probably didn't die as a result of just, like, mouthing around and trying to get a hold of the pufferfish. So (laughs) another, like, video I found of animals, like, messing around with pufferfish is there's this video of dolphins being, like, the jerks they are and, like, literally playing catch with a pufferfish that's like completely like blown up and stressed out and they're just like whipping him (laughs) through the air to each other classic (laughs) dolphin it was it was a bbc video and they said like that that pufferfish could i guess like sort of emanate some of the toxin to intoxicate the the dolphins i did a little more reading and like it didn't seem like there was necessarily Basically, a lot of news articles came up that were like, the dolphins were getting high off the toxin and this is like something they do for fun. But there doesn't seem to be like a lot of scientific evidence to support that. But I mean, maybe they were getting some unintentional dose of the toxin. It's hard to say. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I feel like I definitely heard about dolphins getting high from pufferfish. Yeah, it was really hard to find any like proper fact checking on that. But I definitely didn't find any scientific papers that could um, (laughs) confirm that. Uh, Someone needs to study that. So, yeah, it does sound interesting. Like, I'd like to know if... But it it seems like a really ridiculous thing for a dolphin to do. Like, that's a super, super highly toxic organism. Yeah. That it seems strange to, like, willingly put yourself in that much danger. But don't people 
eat puffer fish? Like if it's prepared properly, isn't that a delicacy? Yeah. So in many parts of the world, particularly Japan, Korea, and China, puffer fish sashimi, that's a little bit of a tongue twister, <laughs> puffer fish, puffer, <laughs> puffer fish, fish sashimi. Puffer fish sashimi. Oh, it is. Yeah. Puffer fish sashimi, say that 10 times fast, <laughs> called fugu, which is a much easier thing to say in Japan, uh, is a delicacy, largely because it requires a very skilled cook to prepare this, you know, this sashimi and prevent killing their customers because the toxin doesn't break down through cooking, which is another thing that makes it super dangerous. And at fancy restaurants in Tokyo, a plate of fugu can go for 200 US dollars. So it is not a cheap cut to get this fish. And there's like a whole certification program that cooks have to go through in order to be allowed to serve puffer fish. And there's also strict trade regulations. So all this ends up meaning that this delicacy can be super expensive to buy. But what's cool, too, is that there's a very long history of eating puffer fish. There's evidence of it being eaten in Neolithic times in Korea about 5,000 years ago. And ancient Chinese and Egyptian murals show people eating puffer fish as well. How does it get properly prepared if the toxin doesn't break down through cooking? I think from what I read, it seems like they have to remove the liver and like any other parts of the body on that specific species of puffer fish that contain the toxin. So it's like it's like concentrated in certain areas of the puffer fish. And once that's removed, it's okay to prepare. Wow. Yeah. Well, in The Sims, your sim can die from eating puffer fish. What? <laughs> yeah. What? That's so random. It's scientifically accurate. It is. <laughs> but would you order puffer fish if you could try it? Uh, no. <laughs> that's, that's way too much of a risk for fish. No, I'll stick with like just the regular tuna sashimi. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll just stick to mercury poisoning. <laughs> thank you. Like, would you would you order it? No, definitely not. But I'm very risk averse. Like, I pretty much don't do anything that could like reasonably cause me to die. That just sounds like so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, it's it's also the fact that there's like no cure. So like if there was a mistake, there's like you just have to kind of hope you don't <laughs> die. Yeah, I guess some people are just like into the risk, but couldn't be me. Yeah, it's like a status symbol. Well, is there anything that eats pufferfish then besides humans? Like, or is this just such a good adaptation that they don't have any predators? Sharks will try and often successfully eat pufferfish. Many sharks are actually immune to the toxin as well. So they're pretty much the only predators that can like successfully eat a pufferfish. But for the most part, predators, like anything bigger than a pufferfish will might try, but they're just gonna they're gonna have to go through a lot of spines and inflation and then poison. <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of work. But like even imagine like as a predator trying to eat an orange and suddenly that orange like expands to the size of a beach ball. <laughs> like like trying to like just even like wrap your mouth around that. It's a really good defense. Like, it's really smart. I'm surprised not more animals do that. Yeah, it's like Kirby. It is. Well, can we talk about the inflation thing for a second? Like, how does that work? How do they inflate? I thought this was going to be a really complicated question to answer. But it turns out it's not really. They just have a very elastic belly and they don't have ribs. And 
all they do is swallow a lot of water or air if they're unfortunately out of water and they just like inflate that way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's a pretty simple answer. And so we know that pufferfish can be eaten by humans and sharks, but what do they eat? They eat a whole whack of different things and it depends on the species. So pufferfish as a group are relatively omnivorous. Some species eat a lot of algae and vegetation. Others will eat invertebrates. Pufferfish can even crack open hard-shelled mollusks, crustaceans, and barnacles with their beaks. And one cute thing about them is that they will, like, blow little jets of water to push away sand from their food like a mini leaf blower. It's very cute. Oh, that is really cute. And they have beaks? Yeah, like, I guess they aren't exactly beaks. They're actually four teeth that have been fused together in such a way that they have kind of a bony plate at the roof of their mouth. Thus, their family name, Tetraodontidae, which means four teeth. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Because, <laughs> like, if you look at them, they have, like, a very, like, puckery mouth. Like, you can't really see the teeth usually. In relatives like the triggerfish, you can really see that beak-like shape. Like, they almost look like a sea turtle <laughs> in terms of, like, they've got that pointy mouth. But yeah, the pufferfish, it's a bit more subtle in the species I've seen, at least. Interesting. Yeah, pufferfish just are very weird. Like, weird body going on. Definitely. I mean, like, they also have really good vision, which I was super, like, I was not expecting that. They just like look derpy and I don't know, they kind of like move slowly. So I thought maybe they didn't have good vision. I don't know why. But some species of freshwater pufferfish have color changing eyes that help them to see better in murky water. Like they literally have color changing chromatophore cells in their corneas, much like cuttlefish have on their skin. And it'll like change from like more like yellowy to orangey wow. to white. Yeah, it's very interesting. And and pufferfish can blink. Which is very strange when you think about it, because I've i never seen a fish blink. Yeah. Like, I, I can't picture that in my mind. And I guess, like, a lot of marine animals don't need to blink, because why blink when your eyes are always hydrated? Like, it just doesn't, it's not necessary. <laughs> so pufferfish are one of the few fish to blink, and they do this by closing the skin around their eyes, kind of like a camera shutter, like just kind of pinching it closed. And then they pull their eyeball back into their head. And some species of shark can also close their eyes to protect from thrashing prey. But I just think that's really an interesting feature they have. Wow. That is weird. I have a lot more respect for puffer fish now. Like, I feel like people only talk about, you know, that they puff up. Yeah, but there's so much more. So much more to talk about. So cool. Well, how are they doing conservation-wise? Yeah, so some are doing pretty good as far as we can tell. Others not so much. So according to the IUCN, of the species of pufferfish they looked at, 77% of species were least concern, with 15% being data deficient. So not enough is known about their numbers to be able to say. And then about 8% were threatened. And those that were threatened are mostly species with specific habitat preferences, and those habitats are being destroyed by either climate change or coastal development. So that's a big problem for them. Now, that being said, five species within the genus Takifugu are at risk of extinction despite being habitat generalists, and that's because they're targeted for the pufferfish trade. And what's a big problem for this pufferfish is that 
normally, you know, with economic theory, we would say, all right, as the economic benefit of harvesting pufferfish is going to like basically become non-existent because there's so few of them, you know, that economic market is going to go extinct before the pufferfish as a species does because it's just going to cost so much it won't be worth it. But the thing is, with this species, their rarity increases their value. And so they continue to be harvested despite this. And then the prices just really go up for them. So it's a really big problem because they're like a status symbol and they're like a rare luxury item. So it's not really worth it to necessarily just turn to different species to harvest for this trade. And there are always people who can afford stuff. Like, we have to remember that to Mm -hmm. people who are like millionaires and billionaires, it kind of doesn't matter how expensive something is. Like if it's a status symbol and you have that much money to blow, I guess why would you not pay thousands of dollars or something to eat puffer fish? Like just to say that you have or whatever, which I totally don't agree with, but. Yeah, but yeah, it's an interesting sort of like problem that targets like very specific species. Yeah, and like there are fish farms that breed these puffer fish. Uh, And such operations have really grown since the 80s. But because of increased intensification of these fish farms, there's a lot of concern that disease outbreaks from these farms could spread to wild populations. I mean, it's the same thing we see in BC with the salmon farms. Like, like, I always used to think that, like, salmon farms were, like, I don't know, like, in a pool in a building somewhere. But they're, like, in the ocean in, like, a net, basically. So disease can spread really easily to wild fish. And the other problem is escaped aquaculture pufferfish could potentially breed with wild populations, and we don't really know what that could do to the genetics of the population. So that could also be an issue. Now, other uses of pufferfish that can be of some conservation concern is their capture for the aquarium trade. So they are very popular in aquariums. And to a lesser extent, medicinal uses, curios, poisons, and animal feed. So kind of a variety of... uh, uses there. Yeah, I guess you could poison someone with them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is a thing. Which is wild. I like, I feel like that could be a really interesting investigative journalism piece. Like, are a lot of people using like pufferfish poison? Or maybe there's like a use for pufferfish poison that isn't like killing someone. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. This is total speculation, but for like other animals or something like that you know, like pests or something, but... Yeah, I wonder. I'm very curious about this. This is this is all from the IUCN report, so they didn't really elaborate much on that. But, but you could just make your rich husband a pufferfish <laughs> meal. <laughs> yeah, it's literally more poisonous than cyanide. Oh so my like, gosh. write a murder mystery with pufferfish poison instead of cyanide, and you've got like a, like a juicy twist. I love that. You, you got to get on that, Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> like the, oh, maybe they're really wealthy and the guy has like a, like a, like an aquarium in the basement mm. and she really hates the aquarium. And so the murder <laughs> mystery is like, <laughs> like, she uses like his favorite puffer fish to kill him. Oh my gosh. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, there you go. Love it. Thank British you. crime drama right there. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. (laughs) And then the last big problem, of course, always is I shouldn't be laughing because this is serious. This is serious business. But like it's bycatch. So pufferfish are often caught mistakenly in nets even when they're not being targeted. And actually, bycatch isn't just bad for the fish. It's 
actually like a really big public health problem. I was reading that in places like the Mediterranean Sea, where warming seas in the Suez Canal create sort of a connection between different seas, which results in just like a lot more pufferfish coming into the Mediterranean Sea. And as a result, they get caught a lot more. And the reason this is a public health problem is if they're ignored or not detected or people just aren't really aware of their like toxicity, they can be sold as food and they're very poisonous. So if, you know, we do have this problem of fish being sold under one label and actually being like a different type of fish. And so there is concern that if more puffer fish is being harvested, there's an increased risk of mistakenly just like bringing it into grocery stores and not being aware of the risk. So yeah, very, very interesting, very concerning. And even when people are aware of what they're eating, there can still be mess ups. So in January of 2020, Japan was put on like high alert because a grocery grocery chain found out that five packages of blowfish had been sold, but whoever had prepared them hadn't removed the toxic livers. Now, luckily, that particular species of blowfish apparently had little to no poison, but regardless, it's illegal to sell pufferfish with the livers inside. So yeah, there was like a little bit of a panic there. And it's a really serious issue because between 2002 and 2006, 223 people in Japan got pufferfish poisoning, and of that, 13 died. And back in the 70s, this was way worse with about 200 people getting poisoned annually and half of them dying. And they're not the only country in the world who sees pufferfish poisoning by any means. They're just uh, the statistics that were more easily available. Wow, that's really, really concerning, especially because honestly, so much of what we eat in terms of fish is so mislabeled. Like they don't mm-hmm. know what the fish is like a lot of the time or it, or it's mislabeled. Yeah, there's like a lot of stories where people will sort of like test the genetics of the fish they buy at the store and like so often it's not what they think it is. Yeah, like, you know, sometimes I eat like actually good cod or something here that, you know, we know who caught it and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this tastes very different than cod that I've had that was like in fish and chips or at the grocery store or something like what like it's was actually that? tilapia? Yeah, it probably was tilapia. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really crazy. And like, it's such a good, like, it's, I don't know, I just find it so interesting because I would never think of pufferfish poisoning as a public health crisis. But mm-hmm. yeah, in some places, it's just incredibly dangerous. So be careful with your fish and don't eat the pufferfish that you catch. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know how to do it properly. And if you're an old rich man, beware of the fish meals (laughs) made by your gold digging wife (laughs) (laughs) new agatha christie novel yeah coming soon yeah so there's a lot of stuff there to know about pufferfish and i'm just like amazed at how such derpy looking animals can have such incredible defenses under their belt they're really they're ready to go they really are they said do not eat me under any circumstances (laughs) They're like, I gave you so many warnings. And (laughs) oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. That was such a fun episode. And I learned so much. I did not know that pufferfish were that cool and dangerous. So love that. But yeah, of course, thanks everyone for listening. Please take a second to leave us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about us. And make sure to check out our Etsy shop.
Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!